0: Well, good morning again. Um, It is hour two of Mornings with Carmen here on the Faith Radio Network on the 26th of January, 2023. And if you listen to the first hour, then you absolutely already know this. But um, I was clearly not paying attention to the show clock at the end of the hour. I was so busy talking about the doomsday clock that I completely missed the end of the hour. So there you go. That um, abrupt end to the program is not what we're looking for, uh, and so I will try to do better. I will try to do better this hour. Um, what in the world is God doing? Like, just think about that question for just a moment. What in the world is God doing? Now, sometimes, depending on the inflection in your voice, right, <clears throat> that question sounds different. Like, I could make a list of all the amazing things that God is doing. Like, what in the world is God doing? Or I could look at a situation and a circumstance or an experience in my own life and be like, what in the world is God doing? Like, right? (laughs) One is appreciative. Let me account for all the things that God is doing in the world. What in the world is God doing? Let me look for those evidences of his grace and the way his kingdom is um, in in evidence in the world around me. And, um, you know, all creation sings to his glory or What in the world is God doing? Like, where is he? What is, this thing is spinning out of control. Let me tell you this. What's God doing in the world? God is dealing with the sin that ravages the human life. That's what God's doing in the world. God is redeeming real people in real time from real sin and its effects. What in the world is God doing? God is dealing with the sin that ravages the human life. Um, you may remember a girl band called the uh, Pussycat Dolls. Um, I have recently read via Students for Life in America, which you can find at studentsforlife.org. I read an interview that they did Um, with kaya jones kaya jones is a former member of the girl band called the pussycat dolls she is um a redeemed person and she speaks very candidly about how sin ravaged her life um she talks about feeling more like a prostitute than a pop star um she talks about the difference between what people thought they were seeing on the stage and what was really happening behind the scenes. She talks about um, this moment of absolute clarity. She remembers standing on the stage performing um, and seeing these two little girls in the crowd who were looking up to her um, with adoration, you know, like as if um, as if she were a goddess. Knowing that inside her own body, she was at that time terminating the life of her unborn child. She says, there was nothing beautiful about me. I was tainted. I was destructive. I was destroyed. I was in chains. I was in bondage to the devil. The enemy of the realm of death. um, Where I was living in my worst self. Um, That was her uh, aha moment, and it happened on stage. And um, she talks about how um, the perversity of the environment um, that was enslaving her led her to um, have two abortions while she was in the band. And um, one of those happened after being raped by someone she trusted. She's now in her late 30s, and um, she has a very vibrant relationship with God. She is redeemed, um, but she prays that God would give her a husband and a family, that God would give her now that which she, on three different occasions over the course of her life, has destroyed, and that is children. Um, She is a pro-life advocate. And she is able to speak into the lives of young women in a way that um, I cannot. The Canadian-born singer-songwriter believes that there is a need, that there is a need today for us to take a hard look at the messages being promoted to young girls. Beauty, fame, success, and the impact those have on individual people and then the community uh, as a whole. But families in particular. She says, we have to talk to young women about abortion. And we have to start talking with them um, about it, um, not demonizing it, not, not adding regulations related to it. We have to talk with them about the damage it does to them. She says, it's very damaging. When you've had one, you think, well, I can just keep having them. You actually don't think it's a big deal. Our culture has turned it into a form of contraception, she says. First of all, I want you to be praying today for Kaya Jones. I want you to thank God for her redeemed life. And that God would give her now the desire of her heart, which is a relationship with um, with someone who would become her husband and that God would then give them a family. Um. Children are a blessing from God. And um, we do not treat them as such. We treat them as commodities or problems to be solved or um, irritants to be, I don't know. They are a gift of the Lord. And we're going to continue to bring attention to life and the sanctity of life and the way God is redeeming life today in Jesus Christ. Let's catch up with Rick Morton from Lifeline Children's Services. We're just simply going to ask, what does it mean to say that human life is sacred or has sanctity? What is the sanctity of human life? That's up next You're on Mornings with Carmen.
2: So speak life.
0: Rick Morton is back from Lifeline Children's Services. You can find them and all their resources at lifelinechild.org. You can also connect there to their social media at Facebook and Twitter, lifelinechild.org. Rick, welcome back to Mornings with Carmen.
1: Thanks. It's good to be here.
0: All right. So um, we call this Sanctity of Life uh, Month. Uh, We just celebrated Sanctity of Life Sunday. Maybe we should just unpack that. What does it mean to consider human life sacred or sanctified?
1: I I think ultimately it means that we see human life the way God sees human life, um, created in his image, created to reflect him, that we understand that there's worth and value and dignity in every person, um, not even because of our own inherent worth, but because of how we reflect our creator and, and what we were created for and and i think it that helps us to to really frame and and to understand the issue that that there's there's no one who's less than in in the eyes of god that we all are uh, image bearers and and we all have the ability to be able to bring glory to god and and to reflect his character and to put his creative nature on display and if that's true that means that there's there's no one that's not worthy of our Love and respect and protection and and everything that we would do for anyone to protect the the dignity and the sanctity of life.
0: So that's the way God sees things, right? God shows literally no partiality. Um, God sees uh, each person um, as as for what they really are, an Im- His own image bearer, created for His glory and His pleasure. Um, loves each and every one, um, God shows no partiality. We as human beings, like, that is all we do. Like, we, all all we see are differences. We don't see the sameness of all humanity. We see all the differences. Um, and I think that then we can't help ourselves but create some kind of hierarchy. <laughs> um, right. And so, yeah, and so just talk with us a little bit about you know, Jesus Jesus says the poor will always be with you. Jesus makes reference to the least of these. Like, he, he recognizes um, the way our minds and hearts work, that we do create this instant hierarchy. Um, and then he makes us responsible for those who have less or who are treated as less. Can you talk about that, like the Christian's calling in relationship to all of this?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you, you think about Matthew 25 where, where Jesus talks about the, the judgment and the separating of the sheep and the goats. And, and he says that, that those who are in Christ, those who are, are true followers of Jesus are going, we're going to be those people who, who care for the poor, who reach into and, 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 and minister to those who are in those categories that we've created in society that are on that are on the outside, and and I think you're right. I mean, I, and I think we do that even, unfortunately, in the church and as a part of the body of Christ, based upon um, sin that people may be caught up in, based upon life circumstances. We we place people at the margins and and think of them being beyond the gospel. and And the truth is, Paul tells us that there is no distinction in the gospel. There's neither. Greek or Jew. There's neither slave nor free. There's near, you know, like there, there's no distinction that matters. We're either in Christ or not. And as followers of Jesus, our main objective should be to treat people the way that God sees them with dignity, but also worthy of the gospel. And, and that our enterprise in this is, is not to look at them based upon their sin or their lifestyle or, or any, any physical characteristic or anything on the outside or any attitude, but it's to look at people based upon their need, um, and, and based upon who, who their God is. And so I was really struck even as you were, you know, in the last segment talking about Kaya Jones and, and, and her life and, I think in the church we have to begin to become comfortable to say we we want to reach out to people and and we want to extend compassion but we also want to extend the gospel in very overt ways to to people whose lifestyles don't match with those uh, that are in the church you know I, I had an old pastor that used to say we you know we expect sometimes that the fish are going to clean themselves before they jump in the boat and mm. and being fishers of men and women means that we're out there and and we're we're meeting people where they are um i I think you know where we are today carmen in in today's condition of the sanctity of life post dobbs and and where we find ourselves, it's more important than ever that the church bring um people in unplanned pregnancies close that we love them well that we that we care for them, that we help to to meet their needs in a very difficult and very confusing time and, and in a in a non-judgmental way. It doesn't mean we have to accept the sin or the situation that got them there, but to show them compassion, but ultimately to show them the gospel and to show them that there's hope in their situation, they're not hopeless. Abortion is is most of the time uh performed I believe in our society because of hopelessness not because of convenience and and so many of the women that, that we work with believe they believe the lie that they have no option they believe the lie that, that there is no recourse for them uh, except to end the life of their unborn child and many most do it reluctantly um, do it grieving, not um, not in a cavalier way, but they believe they don't have options, and I think we in the church need to be on the front lines of saying, no, there are many options, and we want to be part of that, and we want to enter into that with you.
0: That's so good. That's so helpful. We're talking with Rick Morton from Lifeline children's service. You can find them at lifelinechild.org. We're going to continue this conversation in just a moment. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen Laburge, and this is Faith Radio. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show carried on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio. Tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at Radio. Dot .com How does that all happen? Well, it happens through listener support. So Faith Radio Mornings with Carmen all available because of listener support from listeners well just like you. If you're a supporter, thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit myfaithradio.com. And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen. Oh, We're talking with Rick Morton from Lifeline Children's Services. You can find him and resources that are just excellent at lifelinechild.org. Um, Rick, let's um, let's take a particular um, world event into view here from a pro-life perspective. Um, you know, we have arrived at the anniversary of uh, the start of the war um, in uh-huh. Ukraine. It's really, really hard to imagine that a year ago we were... You know, we were wondering, would Russia invade? Um, we were having lots of conversations about um, about where people would go um, and how the church would continue to function. And um, so it was, it was just, you know, on the 24th of February last year. So, I mean, like, we're just like one month away now. Um, Russia invaded Ukraine in this, like, incredible escalation. And we have just seen devastation wrought since then. I'm wondering if there are conversations happening among pro life ministries um like yours about war and um children and families and the gospel
1: absolutely you know I think we there's a very different picture today than there was a year ago with regard to the the vulnerability of children. Uh, we know for instance now that there were about a little over 100,000 children that were in institutional care in Ukraine. About 50% of those children were uh, were in part-time care. So they lived in, in orphanages, lived in internats, not because they didn't have parents that cared for them. They lived in those internats because they had disabilities that kept their parents from being able to care for them well. And so uh, it was almost like a boarding school where the children lived in the internet most of their life, but would spend weekends at home and holidays at home. All of those children have been dismissed back to their homes, almost 50,000. There are 40,000 kids that were social orphans that were a part of that number. So now we're talking about fully 90% of the kids that were in institutional care because their families could not care for them, that Ukraine had to make the decision to send them home into a situation where they know that their families are going to struggle to care for them and so the 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 environment that ministries are finding on the ground in Ukraine is that the the majority of people who have stayed in Ukraine who didn't evacuate to other nations and particularly orphans in that condition are in dire circumstances and and I think we we don't really yet know the the layers of trauma and the stories and and the the, the possible uh, really terrible outcomes that are that are going to happen for children, but we can imagine. And and so I think for us it is it's now there's an urgency to to see the war ended certainly, but also there's a recognition that this has created a really complex situation. That is that's really going to last for you know perhaps generations with the trauma and and the difficulty that you know that's been created by the war um, you know there are five thousand kids that have been evacuated that were institutionalized in Ukraine who've been uh, evacuated abroad and and right now those children have no status um, they're not adoptable they're they're not they they've really they're not able to be given citizenship in, in the country that they've gone to. There's uncertainty as to whether they can ever go back to Ukraine. And and it really has created a class of people that are that are just living in limbo. And that's what ministries that are on the ground are are pouring into at this point. And 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 so we have very much seen a, a difference. People, ministries that we're affiliated with and, and partners that we have on the ground that initially evacuated out to Romania have gone back into Ukraine and they've moved back because, because they see at this point the the, the great need that that's, that exists among children and families, particularly children with disabilities and children that have come from families where they've, they've relied on the internet system in order to help them care for their children, uh, and and the just even made, meeting the basic needs of life uh food clothing and shelter for those families is a daily struggle and we're having to pour aid um and gospel witness <laughs> into those families as uh you know as they uh have greater and greater need because of the devastation that continues to happen at the hands of Russia
0: I think we're also um hearing about and and deeply concerned about um L- Reportedly, thousands of children kidnapped by Russian forces um, and given um, to families in Russia, and I just um, it's hard to it's hard to imagine. Um, you know, the numbers are something like uh, thirteen thousand. At least those were the numbers back the first week of mm-hmm. December when I you know, like last made a, a bookmark of that particular issue. Um, I mean, the, the destruction of of families and um, and the horrors of um, of losing a child in this way, like there there's going to be generational um, gospel work to do following this war whenever it ends
1: absolutely and I think we we can 't discount the the incredibly deep effect that trauma has on our development we were We were designed and created by God to be reared in loving, nurturing caring environments where our needs are met and and where we begin to to develop a basic sense of trust and and that basic sense of trust is is not just something that helps to live well it ultimately is something that helps us to be able to connect to god and and god rigged the system so that so that our development is slanted when it when when things go well that that we develop as people who have a capacity to trust, and, and we're able to transfer that trust ultimately to, to Jesus. And, and so um, I think we, we think of this in terms of the humanitarian uh, cost of a war like this, but, but we have to think about the spiritual cost of the war as well, that we're going to have to dig in, I believe, and and marshal resources into meeting children and adults that have, uh, that have struggled through this war with, um, with intervention and, and really digging into their trauma. And, and that's going to be a part of the equation, I believe of, of us sharing the gospel and, and pointing people toward uh life that can only be found in Christ. Uh, but, but we can't ignore the fact that every day that this war goes on, it compounds that, that sense of loss. It compounds that sense of uh, of a fear and, and ultimately a sense of mistrust that that there's nothing around me that I, I can depend on. and and so it's it's imperative that we we begin to more and more and more lean in and to show people through tangible action, but also to tell people that there is some something and there is someone that you can count on and and that's Jesus and and he is he's present even in the midst of the war. Carmen, one of the yeah. one of the neat things that's happened, I think, in this is that we've seen these ministries that are that are ministering into the front lines and their needs have changed as they've come to us to say, um, one of the ways you can help us now is by helping us get four wheel drive vehicles because Roads no longer exist for us to be able to take food, clothing, and shelter into the places where people need it most. And so we're going into the hardest places, um, and and we're we're doing this in the name of Jesus. And and so people are are hearing the gospel, and they're hearing the gospel because they are courageous believers that are putting their lives on the line to go into places that have been bombed and devastated and completely, um, you know, completely devastated.
0: Hey, if you want to know more about partnering with a Lifeline at Children's Services um, in this and um, bringing hope to vulnerable children around the world, visit lifelinechild.org. The links um, will be in the show notes for today. Rick, as always, thank you so much for joining us.
1: Thank you, Carmen. Always a pleasure.
0: You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. This is Faith Radio. Hey, let's uh, jump right into our next conversation. John Wyatt is back. You know him from Matters of Faith and Life. He's going to join us next. And we're going to talk about something very, very close um, to to many of us. In fact, I dare say all of us. And that is um, how do we approach the conversation related to the sanctity of life when we um, have a person in our life who is dealing with dementia? Think here about a person with Alzheimer's or a person with a significant brain injury, um, or who is born without the same kinds of capacities that maybe you enjoy, what um, what does it look like from a Christian worldview to treat everyone with the dignity of an image bearer of God when they're literally like not in their right mind and their mind doesn't work quote right? John Wyatt joins us next.
2: Jesus to count the day.
0: John Wyatt is a doctor he 's an author, a research scientist he 's a podcast host. His background is as a consultant, neonatalist, and academic researcher, focusing on the treatment and prevention of brain damage in newborn infants. He is actively engaged in addressing the the new ethical, philosophical, and theological challenges that we face as Christians as science and medicine um, advance often more quickly than we can even consider from a um, Christian ethical perspective. Uh, His books include Matters of Life and Death, Right to Die, and Dying Well. You can find him and all of his resources at johnwyatt.com. John, welcome back to Mornings with Carmen.
2: Thanks very much. It's good to be here.
0: Thank you. I want to specifically bring into view today um, people who we know who are suffering with dementia and just talk with you about dementia and the Christian um, view and treatment of people suffering with dementia.
2: Yeah, it's, it's a huge issue, isn't it? And it's very close to home for most of us, and, and, and certainly for me. My, my mother developed a horrible progressive form of dementia, and, and she was transformed in front of our eyes from a lovely, radiant Christian woman into somebody who seemed just almost like a wreck in some ways. So, so this is very close to home, and I'm sure there are many people uh, listening who have also had an experience like that.
0: I think of it um in my own life as this world becoming um more dim and losing its focus and I guess I live with this hope that the um that the kingdom of heaven is becoming like more into focus that as the things of this world grow strangely dim um that the light on the other side is growing stronger but we don't always really have evidence of that.
2: No you're right and I th- I think Obviously, it's often very difficult to get inside the experience of someone who's becoming increasingly confused, losing their memories, losing their sense of identity and who they are and so on. Uh, But I think, you know, one of the extraordinary things is that there's been some real... Uh, advances in the last few years by Christian people who've been developing new ways of of caring for people with dementia, and particularly what they call the spiritual care of people with dementia. And and I find this a really interesting and encouraging development.
0: Okay, talk with us about that. Introduce us to some of those um, advances.
2: So the most important thing to, to understand is that though it's difficult to make contact sometimes with the person with dementia, the person is still there they really are there you know i i've heard people say something like you know that's not my mother in the bed you know my mother died years ago that's just some kind of thing but you know that's not right the person is still there but that it we find it often very difficult to to make contact with that person and what we have to do is to try to find ways to to communicate to make contact and the most important things we're trying to get across is, is first of all, that I'm with you. I'm going to be with you. I'm, I'm present with you. You don't need to be worried that I'm going to abandon you. Th- that you are cherished and loved and special. And also a sense of hope that, that, oh, yes, you may be confused, you may be anxious, but actually together it could be different. I we Together I can help you uh, to have a, a, a deeper sense and understanding of, of what is going on.
0: Um, so help us enter in. like i'm I'm thinking um, music is sometimes a powerful uh, way of reconnecting. I'm thinking that for a person who um, has spent years in the church, um, you know, reciting uh, the Lord's Prayer and maybe the Apostles' Creed or or some other formulaic, um spiritual resource for them, I'm thinking that those are points of connection and reconnection. am I am I leaning in the right direction?
2: Well, certainly they are very important aspects, and music in particular seems to have this ability to communicate and to get through even when when words don't don't work very well. But I think one of the important things is, is that it will particularly be music from the person's childhood mm. and from their early memories because so often as as the dementing process takes place it's the early memories which are retained and so for instance i found and many people have found that that actually readings from the authorized version of the bible uh, you know that old st james version seems to make more contact than the modern translations uh, and similarly it's often the old hymns those those uh, old hymns from our own childhood or from our parents' childhood, which particularly seem to resonate, so we we need to think ourselves back into what other things that would really make a sense uh, to parents with people of that generation and also it, it's it 's often rituals you know the, the the basic rituals of praying the lord's prayer of um of of praying together of whatever particular uh, church tradition the person came from, those basic rituals are, are often very deep and very comforting and reassuring
0: yeah i'm I'm thinking that um being able to receive um, the sacrament of communion um, that that taste and see component, um, particularly if it's offered to them in a form that they experienced when they were a child. Um, or maybe at first communion, whenever that was like, that's really helpful. And we have to, I love the way you expressed that, John. We have to think ourselves back to that. We can't say, Hey, I really like to go forward and break off my own piece of bread and, um, and dip it in a cup. If what they received, um, you know, very early on was in a different form than that, then actually returning to that form would be a point of connection with them in the way that the way I might participate in um, the Lord's Supper now might not be a point of connection for them.
2: That's absolutely right. And I think also very important is that we need to do this in a gentle way. We're offering this. We're not forcing Mm. people. It's, It's very easy for people with dementia who are confused or... Agitated to to feel that something is being forced on them, um, they react against that, and, and so it's this sense of gentleness: is as, as it would it be all right if, or would you like to, or why don't we? Just gently suggesting and guiding uh, a, a way for people to join in, so they don't feel coerced or compelled or abused.
0: Mm, that's so good. That's so good. And that, um, again, that's acknowledging the dignity of the individual. Even if, um, from my perspective, we've reached a stage where um, you know it's it's really hard for me to imagine even wanting to continue to live um, like that, and so I want to talk with you when we return from a very brief break i want to I want to talk with you about that. I want to talk with you about like this conflict that we have in our heads and in our hearts about life, quality of life, the meaning of life at this stage of life. We're talking with John Wyatt. Um, You can find him at Matters of Life and Death. Um, You can also find him at JohnWyatt.com. We're going to continue this conversation in just a moment. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBerge, and this is Faith Radio. Maybe you're thinking in this new year you'd like to change the world. Well, you can start by changing the world for one child. We're partnering with... One Child Again, and you can sponsor a child now at MyFaithRadio.com. What happens when you sponsor a child through one child? Well, you're going to be linked to a boy or a girl who lives in a country other than your own, uh, and you're going to help supply for their tangible needs. Yes, they're going to receive the gospel of Jesus, but they're also going to receive educational assistance, supplemental food, clothing, health care services, and opportunities for love, friendship, and encouragement the cost is just $39 a month, and you can sponsor a child right now at MyFaithRadio.com. So if you want to change the world this year, why don't you start by changing the world for one child? Sponsor a child today at MyFaithRadio.com.
1: We are made, made in the image of, made All
0: right, because you're listening to this, I know you like to listen to things along with his son Tim. Um our our conversation partner today, uh John Wyatt has a podcast called Matters of Life and Death. The last two episodes are on medical assistance in dying and um encourage you to check those out. Matters of Life and Death. Um John, let's continue the conversation that we were having in terms of, you know, as Christians engaging with people who are suffering with dementia. Um, you know, there is this temptation to view it from a worldly point of view and say, this is not a life worth living. Like, this is a life that has gone beyond uh, value. Can you can you address that um, as a Christian and help me redeem that?
2: Well, I think you're right. This is a real threat uh, that uh, if from a purely secular and non-Christian point of view, it's very easy to to think that a a person with dementia their life is completely valueless uh, they're suffering it's pointless and therefore the idea of some kind of assisted suicide well of course it would actually have to be medical killing the person isn't competent to decide whether they want to kill themselves but unfortunately this is being uh, increasingly talked about as a kind of quote solution uh, for this problem um, and I regard this as, as an enormous threat, I'm afraid, for, for the future. So from a Christian point of view, what we want to say is that everybody's life is special and that, and that sometimes in a strange way, God works with people whose lives are broken, are, are damaged, are less than what we would think is fully perfect. You know, that, that it's not the Olympic athletes and the Nobel Prize winners and the, um, you know the elite politicians who are the most important in in God's economy and sometimes it is the little people the nobodies the people with disabilities the people with who struggle um uh, who are of, of incredible significance so i think we're called to to treat everyone uh, whatever their issue with with genuine respect with with love and with protection uh, and that means that intentional killing of any kind, deliberately trying to end the life is always wrong, in my opinion. But that doesn't mean that we should use every medical technology to try and extend life as much as possible. I think the approach that we should have is the same as, as we've talked previously about palliative care doctors, that our aim is to allow death to occur naturally um by natural causes and in its own time while we focus on maximizing the quality of life the the the, uh, the depth of relationships we allow death to occur so we don't we don't accelerate it we don't try and make it happen but nor do we try and hold it away by giving invasive medical treatment in these situations
0: um, you point to a couple of books um, that I want you to be able to talk about, and the people who wrote them. I, I introduce us to Sharon Fish and Robert Davis.
2: Yes, um, two two books w- which really give insights into um, the, the the nature of dementia. Uh, Robert Davis, in particular, I found a fascinating book because he was a pres uh, a min a minister. Mm-hmm. For, a Christian minister. Yeah, I'll read who... the
0: let me read the note I made yeah. because this might help jar your memory because I I kind of surprised you with this. So Robert Davis, a Presbyterian minister, and his book is My Journey into Alzheimer's Disease. And he um so to so talk about that because that's a that's a really unique perspective and I think that as a person who might want to understand the descent, um this is a really um fascinating journey.
2: Yes, it's an extraordinary book and he wrote, he wrote the book. He was diagnosed with, um, dementia at a very early age. I think he was in his fifties and he writes about his experience and the, and the struggle to get the diagnosis. And then when the diagnosis was made, his reaction and so on. And as the book goes through, you can see that his gradually, uh, his abilities are deteriorating. And then the final chapter is written by his wife and it's a very moving. And, uh, at times painful, but at times remarkably, um, profound and encouraging book describing his, his knowledge that God is still there with him, uh, even as he feels he's being sucked into this emptiness. There's a, there's a sense in which, uh, of a, of a, a special depth of his relationship with God. Uh, and so I, I think, yes, of course, dementia is a, is a horrible thing, and we don't want to try and sanitize it uh, I think there's a place for lament and and weeping when we when we realize that that diagnosis, but it's not all loss. this is something that God, in his grace and power, can redeem. He can bring blessing and riches uh, out of the most tragic painful circumstances and i've seen that in in the lives of loved ones, and I've heard stories uh, and I think it's even possible that there's a, a richness of spiritual wisdom and communication that can be going on even though it doesn't have words. You know, our tendency is we tend to overvalue the, the cerebral, the, the cognitive, what is going on in our brains. And sometimes as Christians, we think the most important thing is that I really hang on to what I know and what I remember and so on. And of course, all these things are important but sometimes god takes those things away so that the depth the deep nonverbal that what his work in the in the heart and how do we know what the spirit is doing deep in the heart of mm-hmm. um of, of people with who are st- struggling uh, sometimes with severe dementia
0: talk with us um about the gentle um and Uh, I'm thinking here about touch, because when you talk about the cerebral and talk, sometimes we talk too much and we don't just offer a gentle touch, but sometimes we're also, like, afraid because of what the world has told us about touching appropriately and inappropriately. Can you just address that
2: briefly? Yeah, I think that's a really important point. So I think touch is, you know, touch and hearing are the last two senses. As everything else is lost, Um. In somebody who is dying or, or, their, or their brain is disintegrating, touch and hearing are always the last two um, senses that, that are present. And a, a loving, gentle touch can be incredibly significant. However, you're right, we live in a world where we've become very uh, nervous about touch. It, it seems potentially abusive or sexualized or whatever. So again, we need to be very gentle. I think So saying something like, would it be all right if I held your hand? Uh, Would it be appropriate if I, if I gave you a hug? You know, it's like, it's kind of offering this, not forcing Mm -hmm. it on people gently. uh, I I think just holding a hand, putting a hand on an arm, just sitting, not feeling that we've got to say a lot, but just simply Mm -hmm. being there, you know, is, is something that's profoundly I think significant and important. And um, Mm -hmm. I, 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 as a doctor, it's something I've learned over the years. It's just the value of my presence, of sitting there, of being together with the patient or with parents, of putting a hand, a gentle hand, a loving hand, and sometimes just praying in, in silence, uh, bringing a, 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 an atmosphere, a spirit of calm, praying for God's presence in this situation, and then just praying that he would guide me to know what I should say, whether to say anything, and if so, what I what I should say.
0: I love that. Thank you so much, John, as always. This is so helpful. Um, I've, I've made a lot of notes. I will include them in the show notes for today, including all the links to um, John's articles and books um, and his website, which you can find directly at johnwyatt.com. Um, John, what a blessing. Thank you so much.
2: It's a privilege. Thank you.
0: We're talking about matters of life and death during this Sanctity of Life Month. This is Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBerge, and this is Faith Radio. All right. There's a bit of an internal debate going on uh, about the cold scale. If you have a, uh, a way that you scale cold, I'd love to hear it. 877-933-2484. Uh, my, um, my current working cold scale. Brilliant, blissful, bearable, bigly berry, bracing, bitter, and brutally cold. What's your cold scale? Let me know. 877-933-2484. You've been listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBerge. This is Faith Radio.